Autumn, thank you so much for that. You did incredible. That was really the sermon and the song all together uh, right there. If you would, take your Bibles and turn them to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1, I want you to draw your attention to verse 37 this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. And if you would, stand in honor of God's word and listen to what one of the sweetest verses in all of Scripture. Defined in the middle of the story of Jesus' birth. It says, says this in verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. You can be seated. The, uh, the miracle of Christmas. The absolute amazement and astonishment that something like this could be done. The miracle of of Christmas. It is amazing to me. It's astonishing to me. I can't understand. I can't wrap my mind around it. How a chubby, plump, jolly old elf can deliver gifts to 2.2 billion children in one night. It makes absolutely no sense. It it just but every year, year after year after year, it happens. It's, an, it's a miracle. It's incredible. And, and we've been celebrating this all of our lives. It's impossible when you think about it. There's been a lot of studies in science and, and physics to see how something like this could happen. And there's a theory that maybe that during the evening and during the night as we go to bed that, that all of a sudden time stops to give this guy time to do that. There's the other thought that, like, he's so quick and so swift that that he's like the flash, but that doesn't make sense to me because he's got a bowl full of jelly. This guy is overweight and really unhealthy. You've sat in his lap. Can a man that old, that big, move that quickly? This is a mystery. And he does it all by himself. I mean, this, this massive job to, to give 2.2 billion children gifts in one night, he does it all by himself. I mean, yes, he has elves that help him throughout the whole year, and they're hustling and bustling in their shop and so forth, but, but when it comes to the night, when it comes to the moment, to delivering all these gifts, it's, it's just him and his miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. How he does it makes, makes no sense, but, but he does it. I know he does it. Remember when I was a kid, we'd wake up on Christmas morning, and there would be footprints in the kitchen. In our house, we, we have a thing that we do to, to help them along with the evening. I mean, we think about the deer because we like to hunt. We think about them with compassion for them. So every night, every Christmas Eve, we, we put out deer corn. And would you believe it? That the next morning, it's all gone. I've never seen them that night. I've never, never, never gotten to see it. But it's always taken place, this impossible thing, this massive job that's given to this one Jolly little old elf to deliver, deliver gifts. A big job for a really, really small person, for, for one man, just doesn't make, make sense. Neither does the real miracle of Christmas. That God would choose a young girl and give her something as great as his son. When you think of how small Mary was and how insignificant Mary was and how unlikely she was 
to do something so large, to have the responsibility to bear the Son of God and bring him into this world, and then the responsibility to raise the Son of God so that he would save the world. It's just almost, and it is absolutely unfathomable that God would do something like that with a person like her. We're introduced to Mary in Luke chapter 1. If you turn a page back over and if you'll look at verse 26, we see just how little Mary really was, how small she was. It says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And we don't really know a whole lot about Mary. There's not a, a vast amount of history upon her. We don't really know a whole lot about her family, about her circumstances and situations. What we know is kind of driven by what we know about most marriages and most people that would have found themselves in a betrothal at that time. She was likely a teenage girl, had probably just come to the age of puberty. And so at the result of that, she was betrothed, probably a marriage to Joseph that was arranged by their parents a long time before this day. And when she finally comes to that age, everything sets in and all of a sudden this arranged marriage becomes a legal marriage in the form of a betrothal. And there's a waiting time and a waiting period until they're, they're, the marriage is consummated, the wedding takes place and so on and so forth. Mary's in the midst of this, a young girl. We don't know much about her family, we don't know much about her, but likely she was probably 13, 14 years old. It says that she's from the town of Nazareth. Nazareth was a podunk town. It was a, a town on the outskirts. It was a town that was not polished, not as fresh and as hip as a town like, like Jerusalem or the other large cities. She was almost, in a sense, from, from nowhereville. In fact, there's a saying that was going around, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Mary, that's her hometown. That's where she's from. She's, she's a young, young girl. We see also in this story that she's, she's really troubled by what takes place. In verse 28, this angel Gabriel visits her and it says this, and he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this would be. Now it wouldn't have been a surprise that someone who's visited by an angel would have been a little bit startled. We see it. In other places, when angels visit people, how startled they are. Here, Mary's, Mary's troubled, and that troubling terror, terror that she has goes a whole lot deeper. When the message is given and what takes place after this, what she's dealt, what she's told will happen, is certainly not how Mary dreamed and planned it would be. All of a sudden, she has to explain a pregnancy to her husband, Joseph. Just explain to her parents, just to live with the culture and society, everyone looking at this pregnant teenage girl who is not pregnant by her husband-to-be. It's trouble because it's a shocking moment. Everything in her life was about to change. It also shows the reaction she has to the angel, the absolute humility and astonishment she said, it says that she tried to discern what kind of greeting this would be. The, the idea behind that is that she was trying to figure out, why me? Well, what is this all about? Why would, why would this angel visit me? Why would he say this thing? A person like me, so undeserved, so, so, so not different from anyone else. 
So unlikely that he would call me favored one and give me a responsibility and a task. Why me? There's a young woman, a troubled woman, and she was also, we see here, a favored woman. It says, greeting in verse 28, favored one. And then in verse 30, when she's trying to discern what kind of greeting this is, what this means, the angel of the Lord goes further and explains that he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This young girl, this little Mary, had found the favor of God. Now, what is the favor of God? What does it mean that Mary, Mary was favored? It's a really misunderstood word. It comes from the Greek word charis, which is where we get also our word grace. There's a lot to be said about the favor of God. There's a lot of churches and people that teach the doctrine of God's favor and what that means and, and how Mary got it. In fact, whole denominations believe that, that God chose Mary because there was something special in her, that there was something unique and special in Mary. But, but the very idea of this charis, this grace, tells us that it's anything but something special in Mary. Because grace is a gift. Let me tell you something that we learned about the favor of God by just looking at this, this girl, Mary. One of the things we realize is that what it means to have the favor of God and receive the favor of God is that God is, God is with you. He says that in verse 28, the favored one, the Lord is with you. That God's with her in what she's going through. We, we realize, we know as he, she, the angel talks to Joseph that literally God was with her in her womb. Emmanuel, God with us. But to have the favor of God for Mary means that God is with her. It also means that God chose her for a purpose. There wasn't anything special about Mary. There wasn't anything unique about Mary. There wasn't anything that God said, ah, that's the one. Because of this and because of that, she's just right. She's perfect for my plan and my purpose. No, it was simply by the sovereign, elective choice of God. Mary didn't earn the favor of God. Mary received the grace of God in the calling to his purpose. And the favor of God also meant that God was going to do something through Mary. I'm with you, I've got a purpose for you, and I'm gonna do something through you. That, that was the message of the angel. That was exactly what God was telling her in this moment. This, this little girl, this little Mary, that Jesus was born to this woman, a woman like this, shows the depths of his humanity. That he was coming to the most unlikely person and the most unlikely situation. Because really Mary isn't any different from us. And Jesus, the Son of God was born just like us. So this, this little girl, this young teenage unlikely woman is called by God to have a job that was way beyond 
her and her capacity. To raise the great Jesus. And that's the message that he gives her in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him to him the throne of his father David and will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. It says, Mary, you're to name this child Jesus. The name Jesus was a common name that day, but it took on new meaning when it was given to this child. The name means Yahweh saves. And never has that name meant more than it was placed upon and given to the one whom Yahweh would save through. It says that he would be great. Great in contrast to the, to the type of person Mary was, who was an ungreat person. She was a normal person. She was a regular person. But, but what she was going to bear would not be normal would not be like everyone else, would be, would be great. And he wouldn't like, be like the rest of the world. He would be above the rest of the world. He would be, as he says here, the son of the Most High. The Most High was a common name, a common phrase to describe God, the highest of high. And here is the son of the Most High. And it says that, angel says that he'll give him the throne of David, exactly explaining what the purpose and meaning that this child that she was going to bear was the promised one that was coming, the one that Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it, with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. Zeal of the Lord of hosts will be. And we'll do this. A savior, a king, a ruler, the divine son of God from heaven. And this little girl, Mary, was going to carry him into this world. What a big task for such a small person. How amazing that God would choose such a lowly woman for such a high task, to carry birth and raise the Son of God to have the salvation of the world develop in her womb. She is way mismatched for something like this. And this is, this is an extreme mismatch. This is, this, is, this is worse than making a kicker block a defensive lineman. Yet it was the way God chose to do it. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
But there was an issue. There was a, a major problem here. There was a, a thing that even Mary knew was, was quite an issue here, a question that she had. And she asked that question in verse 34. I got a, I got a question, Gabe. How, how will this be? You know, I'm not questioning what you're going to do. I'm not, I'm not questioning that, that I, I just doesn't make sense. I mean, how, how in the world are you going to bring the Savior of the world? How in the world is the Son of, Son of the Most High, how in the world is the, the one who's going to take the throne of David over and reign as the Messiah in this world? How in the world is this going to be? And here's my specific question with that. Since, she says in verse 34, I'm, I'm a virgin. And so the angel explains. He, it's almost as if he anticipated that question, and he goes into a thorough explanation of what would take place in verse 35. So there's no question about how this would take place. You know, the world doubts it. People question it. But Scripture is very clear on just how it was Jesus was birthed. It says this in verse 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month of, with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And here in this explanation from this angel, we have something crucial. We have one of the most important doctrines of our faith. We have the unification. We have the blending. We have in one person both humanity and divinity. And that is delivered to us through the virgin birth. The virgin birth was something that was unique and absolutely necessary for who Jesus was, his identity, who he was, and his mission, what he came to do, demanded that he be born in a unique and different way. As Oswald Chambers said, Jesus was born into this world, but not from it. For nothing will be impossible with God. You see, the great and perfect Jesus had to be here in our presence on this world to accomplish his mission to save. But in order to accomplish that mission with perfection, he could not come through natural human reproduction. Because human parents like you and me are temporal. We're finite. We're imperfect, and we can only pass on imperfect and limiting characteristics. Among those characteristics, and generic things that we pass on through human reproduction is the imperfection that is part of the human condition, sin. We are fallen creatures, and when two fallen creatures become one, and by God's miraculous grace generate human life, the only product that can be developed from that is another fallen human life. 
when we come into this world, when we are born into this world as the product of two fallen human beings, we have the capacity of corruption already built into us. And Jesus could not have that if he was going to save the world. Had he entered the world through natural human reproduction, he would have been simply like any other child of this fallen world. But Jesus, through the virgin birth and through this miracle that took place, was in no way a product of the natural earth or of the union of his father, human father and mother. Instead, he was, he and he is, the eternal person of the Lord himself, the infinite one who created the universe, taking on limited form of human beings. For nothing will be impossible with God. So God sent Jesus, his son, through an alternate route. One route that would preserve, the only route that would preserve his divine and perfect nature, yet also make him a full-fledged human being. He had to go around, miraculously, the natural reproduction of two human parents so that he could also be supernatural without an inherited sin nature. For nothing will be impossible with God. So with all his creative energy, the Lord would surround Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit with his presence and she would miraculously become pregnant. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit would tie two natures together in one. Deity and humanity. And miraculously, the mixture of those two natures was not a part of one and a part of the other. The mixture was fully one and at the same time fully another. The miracle of Christmas. He would supernaturally produce the Holy One within the secret safety of Mary's womb. And so Jesus would enter this fallen, broken world just like every other baby, but also completely unlike every baby. Being pure and perfect from the sinless realm of of eternity, he would come to this sinful realm. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so he would come through a woman, through a little woman, as a little baby, a human. And that is so important. So important that he came to this world not the same way that Gabriel visited this world, by just coming here. It's so important that, that Jesus would take on the limits of humanity, humbling himself to the place and point to be brought forth and developed and brought out of a 
woman's womb and born just like every other human because his purpose, his mission was to die. And in order to die, you know what you have to do first? You have to be born. You have to be brought into this world to be taken from this world. His mission was to give his life as a sacrifice for all those sins and all that corruption and all that rebellion and the failure that characterizes our human world and our human nature. That's why this moment, that's why this miracle matters. Because only something and only someone perfect would be able to offer his life as a sacrifice that would be sufficient for the corruption and sin and brokenness of humanity. Any other life, the life of an angel or the life of a really good person would just be another human life. It would not mean anything. And the only one that has a life like that, good enough, is God himself. And so God and only God came so that he himself could atone for man's sin with his own death. In fact, God promises that he himself would be the one to do it in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. It says this, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. In verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In verse 11, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. God said himself that he would do it himself. But the issue is that God is spirit. And spirit cannot die. So in order for God to die, he had to become a man. But at the same time, retain his purity and perfection so that man would be sufficient enough. He had to retain his divinity and his holiness so that he, as a human, his sacrifice and his death would be enough. How could he do these two things? How could he accomplish both simultaneously? How could he be both God and man? Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God just as prophesied hundreds of years before this in Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth for nothing will be impossible with God. So we have 
the impossible. That God made possible the virgin birth. The perfect way for God to come into this world to do the impossible mission of rescuing you and I from the grip of sin and death. The impossible miracle of the virgin birth. He would be divinely conceived and humanly born. Retaining his divinity, his perfection, but human in every sense of the world. A miracle. But that's not the miracle of Christmas. It's not that God took a lowly girl and miraculously brought the greatest ever through her. As miraculous as the beginning through the virgin birth was, that birth, that miracle gives light to the miraculous ending of that life, which results in your salvation, the greatest miracle, the miracle of Christmas. For as impossible as this birth was, so much more is it impossible your salvation to save you from the grip of sin, your sin, my sin, to save you from the penalty of death, but nothing is impossible with God. You see, a miracle must occur for anyone who would follow Jesus. Just as he was born into this world, not from this world, so too must he be born into your life and heart, not from it. He comes the same way. Christ, Jesus, salvation doesn't naturally live in anyone. We do not have the capacity, the ability to save ourselves. Left up to ourselves, as good as we can be, as religious as we could be. We don't go to church and it fixes it all. We don't do good things and it fixes it all. There is nothing in ourselves, nothing that could come from us. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth and nothing good can come out of you and me. So salvation is not something we muster up and we work up and we try really hard or we pray really good or we do enough good things. No, salvation is not something from within. Salvation is something that is born into us, that is given to us. Jesus Christ must invade your heart and life just as he invaded this world that night. There must be a nativity in every human heart. The perfect coming to dwell 
in the imperfect. We cannot give birth to him in our own goodness, in our own effort. We just like Mary have to receive it by faith. For nothing is impossible with God. I wonder, have you received that gift as your own?